listening to www.infinitesmile.org. Enjoy these Zen-inspired talks given by Michael McAllister. So it must have been around 1988 that I first set foot in a Zendo. And uh, I was so um, perplexed by the talk that was given. It was given by a guy named Ed Brown. I'll never forget it. You may, you may know Ed Brown. He wrote the uh, Tassahara cookbook. He's just this amazing guy, absolutely amazing guy. He reminds me kind of of a, uh, almost has an elfish or gnomish quality about him. Uh, and to hear a laugh that comes from really deep in somebody is so cool. <laughs> and man, this guy was just all over the all over the place with it, just constantly cracking himself up, which can be really obnoxious in some quarters. But in the the Zen context, oh my God, what a thrill ride! You know, you've got this guy who's done all sorts of work on the cushion. He can run a kitchen and turn it into a meditation. Uh, he's a great writer. And his recipes really kick butt, too. I mean, he's just one of these very, very talented people who just was fresh and alive. And his talk, I'll never forget, was about how Dogen the Japanese, essentially the, uh, the, the patriarch or, or, or uh, a founder of Japanese Soto Zen, which is the lineage that Shunryu Suzuki was in, and Ed Brown was one of his students, and then I was actually one of Suzuki Roshi's students, students, so Suzuki Roshi would technically, I guess, kind of be somewhat of a grand teacher. I don't know if that's the right term, but... <laughs> <laughs> had a huge influence on my life, even though I never met the guy. Dogen said that uh, a Zen master's life is one continuous mistake. And I was just baffled by this. And of course, Ed would say that in his inimitable way. He'd just say, you know, a Zen master's life is one continuous mistake. <laughs> You know, like, why, why the heck am I here? This is really, if it's one continuous mistake, I'm doing that fine. I don't need any help. I don't need, I don't need anybody to help me along in that capacity. <laughs> it's one, one continuous mistake. Meaning that everything, everything that shows up, no matter what, is an opportunity. It's an opportunity to learn. It's an opportunity to explore your reactions to your perceived goof, right? That everything, everything is a Dharma door. Everything is a, just a direct path into awakening, which is kind of our theme in this particular Sangha. <laughs> everything, everything but everything is a, just a through line there. It's a way to jump into the fire. It's a way to jump into the fire. 
And the minute that happens, jumping into the fire means that we are in essence jumping into that which is sacred, good, true, beautiful, and unsurpassed within us. We perceive the words kind of tend to lead us outside of our experience. It's like, if I'm going to jump into the fire, I'm doing it from here, somewhere out there. When in fact, it's what is out there meeting what is true in here. And in that meeting, the conflagration just bursts. And what's left? Well, what's left is what's true. Sometimes we have a hard time with that word true, but because it's like, well, whose truth, yours or mine? You know, you don't have a monopoly on truth. I don't either. Who do, you know, that's not where we're going here. We're talking about the truth of infinity. If we can agree that there is infinity and everything exists within that infinity and is at, at its core, at everything's core, is infinite as well, that infinity is out and within, just like Immanuel Kant says, the stars without are equal to the stars within. The minute that kind of shakes us, the minute that realization kind of shakes us, shakes our cage enough, the cage falls away and we are free. We are awake to what's real. Every single thing Every single success, every single mistake allows mastery of something mystical. It allows for us to meet the mystery consciously. And when we do that, when we meet the mystery consciously, we are able to embody the Buddha's final words. We're able to embody the Buddha's final words, which were, and I quote, be a lamp unto yourself. Make of yourself a light. I love that. Be a lamp unto yourself. Make of yourself a light. Light it up. Light it up. Get yourself into a place where you are willing to meet that fire. That fire that you perceive to be outside will be met with the fire that is inside. That fire will meet itself through you. And what happens? You then become a light. You are awake. You are enlightened. Right? And this is at the core of everybody already. Awakening, or the awakened state, if you will, is already at everybody's core. The problem is, life has tended to, and I use this metaphor constantly, but I want to use it again so the language sinks in here. It's as if this radiance that is at the core of each of us is covered up 
by dust and dirt, sometimes blood, mud. Okay, horrible stuff can be all over that lampshade. Horrible, horrible stuff that, that we actually have thrown on there and that we've allowed other people to throw on there and other situations and other groups of people and other belief structures, other opinions, anything that we have literally held on to, that we've attached to, becomes something that keeps that light from shining. Stillness practice, on the other hand, chips at it if it needs to be chipped, just brushes it if it needs to be brushed. It does whatever needs to be done to actually take that lampshade and clean it so that that light shines. It shines through us for everyone else. And everyone who's included in that, we are. All of us are. Self and other. So this is how we become a lamp unto ourselves. This is how we make ourselves a light. We recognize that fire in us consciously that wants to feel, express, and offer peace. We let that burn brightly. And where does it take us? It usually takes us into a place of stillness. At that point, it gets challenging. The minute we actually start doing meditation, we recognize how challenging sitting still can be. How we're constantly wondering, am I, am I doing this right because this does not feel good? And it's not about feeling good all the time. Sometimes it feels beyond anything you will ever, you know, you could, you could ever experience. At the same time, other times it feels rotten. But what does it really allow you to do? It allows you to feel. And in this process, who is it that we serve? Just like the Fisher King. Fisher King responds to uh, Parsifal. Who does this serve? It serves the Grail King. It serves God. We're in this process serving that which is holy except unlike many other traditions, it's not what is holy up there. It's what's holy up there as well as in here. The fire without is equal to the fire within. And in that process, in that dance, something really magical begins to happen. And that's how the world gets changed. That's how we recognize even through mistakes, there's a gift even though we have been trespassed against, even though people, situations, have just thrown all sorts of mud on this lampshade, all sorts of tragedy, all sorts of horror, all sorts of mistakes have been thrown onto this lampshade, the real gift is recognizing the lampshade and then the cleaning process. It can be arduous. It can go faster at some times and then really slow down. We can't figure out why this one splotch won't come off. Our stillness is what allows that to break.
our stillness is like a divine cleaning fluid. <laughs> it cleans that shade. It's no longer veiled. And it explodes. It explodes through us. And then that's a gift. That's a gift for all. We just have to be ready to give. May I see a show of hands as to how many people have uh, Jack's book? I want to see. I saw a couple. I've got one, two, three, four, five, six. Let's try. I want to try this. I don't know if it's going to work. Can we go four? You guys are going to be a quad. Okay. You guys. Are, wait, one, two, three, four. You guys are a quad. One, two, three, four. You guys are a quad and a three. Okay. What I'd like you to do is pick a quote, passage, idea that is meaningful. If you didn't do the reading, that's okay. You're not gonna, I'm not going to ding you points or anything. But where did the talk then push you? Or where has something recently moved you? Maybe it has nothing to do with anything that uh, I've said tonight, but it, uh, something in your life. So something, something of significance that you can offer to your group. Make sure everybody gets a chance to speak. Once everybody has had a chance to speak, then if conversation ensues, fine. But you are a team for the next uh, nearly 10 minutes. Okay? And then what I'll do is I will... Uh, I know you're getting extra time today. I was told that uh, five minutes is not enough time to do jack squat, I think was the, was the quote. So... Let's try to do more than Jack squat tonight. I don't know who Jack is, but I'm sure he's very kind. Um, yeah, right. So can you, and then can we be ready to each group just fire something out that we can then kind of play with as a group? We'll see if that takes the conversation anywhere. All righty? Yeah, go ahead, Susan. Ten. Chapter ten. Actually, can I read you this great quote in the beginning of chapter ten that I just absolutely loved? One of the criticisms of Cornfield's uh, book is that, you know, where's his voice in all this? He quotes so many great, he's got so many quotations in here. I absolutely love this. Um, and I like Jack's book, too. But uh, I, thought, I think this is uh, uh, fantastic here. When confronted by a human being who impresses us as truly great, should we not be moved rather than chilled by the knowledge that he might have attained his greatness only through his frailties. One continuous mistake. Have a good time. <laughs>